Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. It was a Friday afternoon in late November... The weather is very much like today. Sunny skies, temperatures in the 60s, and there was so much excitement in the air that it wound up being the darkest day in Dallas history. This is a News Radio 1080 KRLD special presentation. JFK, 60 Years to the Moment, a retrospective about the assassination of a beloved president as it happened 60 years ago. From the KRLD Morning News, here is Mike Rogers. And why all that excitement back on the 22nd of November in 1963? Well, it isn't every day you get a visit from the President and First Lady. They flew in that fateful morning after spending the night in Fort Worth, and a huge crowd was on hand to see Air Force One touchdown at Love Field. A large crowd is gathered now to await the arrival of President and Mrs. John Fitzgerald Kennedy from Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth. This crowd uh, started gathering out here quite early this morning. Uh, I was out here at about uh, quarter of eight, and already a few diehards have gathered early to ensure a good vantage point. And so it was 60 years ago at this very moment. A slow-rolling tragedy that would shape the landscape of the country was beginning in Dallas. President John Fitzgerald Kennedy, along with his wife Jackie, Governor John Connolly and his wife Nellie, began that fateful trip from Love Field to Dealey Plaza. We have assembled a team of reporters to tell the story from points along the motorcade route as things unfolded exactly 60 years ago today. And we begin our coverage at Love Field, where Air Force One had landed and the presidential motorcade was about to leave. KRLD's David Rankin is live on the airport tarmac today. He is just feet from where that plane was parked. David? I am, Mike, and I am literally standing next to a plaque that Love Field placed for President Kennedy showing the timeline of the president's visit here to Love Field. Now, why did he come to Texas? Even back then, in 1963, the president worried about the fact that he might lose Texas in the 1964 election, so he felt the need to come here to make his presence felt. This is also the first time that Jackie Kennedy had flown with the president anywhere, made any appearances with him since the death of their baby, Patrick. And as you mentioned, there had been a light rain falling in Fort Worth when he made a speech at the Texas Hotel earlier in the day, but it cleared out later in the day and got blue skies, as you mentioned, just like we're having today. And the president landed Air Force One here at Love Field. He greeted 
thousands of people came up, just went to a, a welcome wagon that wanted to say hello and shake his hand. And then they got into their cars to head out to make the short drive towards downtown Dallas. Mike. David, uh, talk about that. When they got off of, uh, of, of the plane, uh, off of Air Force One, they went over to the fence. They worked the fence line, didn't they? They did. They did. And again, the security allowed the people. And there, as we heard in the open, there were thousands of people that got here as early as 745 in the morning just for a chance to stake out a great place to be able to see the president and maybe be able to shake his hand. And he went over to those well-wishers to shake their hands to say hello. David, tell me about this blue light out there on the tarmac at Love Field. I've I, I lived in Dallas most of my life. I never knew that existed. I didn't either, and I'm literally standing five inches from it, and it's just this innocuous little cover that will light up night. It's right by um, Terminal 5 or Gate 5 at the airport, corner from the windows. You can see where it is, and it, it would be a light like any other, but it's right next to, as I mentioned, this plant, this plaque that has a timeline of the entire day. 11.35, Vice President Lyndon Johnson lands in Air Force Two on runway 31. So LBJ was here. Both presidential planes landed here at Love Field. The, uh, the flight over from Fort Worth, that wasn't a long one, was it? No, it wasn't. Thir- 13 minutes from, Cars- from Carswell Air Force Base in Fort Worth. And he probably barely had time to had any kind of altitude before he had to make the descent. Probably hit high altitude right over Arlington. You you wonder, and Love Field is packed today, of course, the day before Thanksgiving, David. And you wonder how many people in that airport realized the the, the role that Love Field played in all of this 60 years ago today. And you tend you tend to wonder what do people remember, and how many people never knew the role that Dallas played and how many people are going to be in downtown Dallas for everything that's going on at Dealey Plaza and have no idea where I'm standing and what the significance of this is. Out at Love Field, that is KRLD's David Rankin. David, thank you so much. Uh, Very informative. We are following the footsteps of President John F. Kennedy 60 years ago today. Our reporters in the field the uh, plane, Air Force One, had just landed at Love Field at around noon. And then uh, after greetings and well-wishers, the president and first lady, Governor Connolly and his wife, they left Love Field. There's a lot of optimism at that time. Coming up on KRLD, we're going to bring in one of the top experts on November 22nd of 1963, historian Dory Wiley, a man who knows Maybe it's more about the assassination, I think, than just about anyone. He's going to join us live in studio as we look back 60 years to the moment right here on KRLD. Welcome back to our special presentation, JFK, 60 years ago at this moment. We look back on one of the most monumental hours in the nation's history. Our reporters are fanned out across Dallas along the motorcade route with reports on things as they unfolded back on that date in 1963. Right now, I'm joined in studio by historian and Kennedy expert Dory Wiley. He's with us right now. Dory, thanks so much. I, I know this is obviously this is a very busy day for you. You you were talking to me earlier. You said you've had, what, 62 different media requests or something? No, no 32 this 32. year. It's okay. been a very busy year. It's good to be here, Mike. 
Dory, thank you so much. We appreciate you stopping by. And let's go back because I want to talk about uh, a little about what something David mentioned in his report from Love Field. Let's talk about the reasons behind Kennedy's visit, not just to Dallas, but his entire Texas tour. I mean, this was this was very political. You had the 1964 elections coming up. Absolutely. And if you remember, President Kennedy had lost Texas. Okay, so it was very important for him to get Texas. He was worried about getting Texas, and he was actually considering an movement to get LBJ off the ticket. So he needed to come to Texas, and he was terrified about coming here. He had been warned by many it was dangerous, it'll be hostile, and that's why he brought that's why he brought Jackie with him, his secret weapon, if you will, right. in order to help uh, try to embrace the people. Then, of course, when he gets to Fort Worth. He's surprised he gets such a warm reception. Over 12,000 people were there to greet him in that rain and chill of the morning. And he really, he, I mean, he got a warm reception in Dallas, too, although there were a lot of critics out there, too. And we were looking at old footage of uh, of the Love Field crowd, a lot of people out there waving Confederate flags and such. Yeah, but there really wasn't that many. I got to tell you, they were very surprised about the reception of, of Love Field. And, of course, part of the evidence is he goes over to greet the crowd and embrace the crowd. Sure, there were a few placards and, and flags, that were, uh, but most of the crowd, it was a very warm reception. The real question was going to be, what about when we get to downtown and we get into the heart of Dallas? How will they treat us? Because they were still very apprehensive. There were even witnesses that heard him uh, speak in Fort Worth, watched him, saw him physically shaking with his left hand as he spoke impromptu to the crowd there in Fort Worth. He was really concerned. He was very concerned, and rightfully so. If you remember, he had that movie made, Seven Days of May, because he was worried about being killed in office. Why the decision to go over and work the fence line at Love Field? He wanted to embrace the crowd. I think he was very pleasantly surprised by the warm reception that he had at Love Field. But again, the question was, how was the city of Dallas and the heart of downtown going to treat us? He had no idea there were 250,000 people waiting for him. Let's talk about the, uh, the, the trademark speech. That ties into this as well. What was that speech supposed to be about? Well, you know, that's interesting you say that. That speech, which was never delivered, uh, was really fantastic. And I don't know if you have time, but the last paragraph of that speech is just incredible. Uh, he says, we in this country and this generation are by destiny rather than by choice, the watchmen on the walls of world of freedom. And he asks if we're worthy of the power and the responsibility that we exercise our strength and wisdom and restraint that we may achieve in our time and for all time, the ancient vision of peace of earth, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. You know, that must always be our goal and the righteousness of our cause must always underlie our strength. For as was it written long ago, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. What a sad thing that he wasn't wow. able to deliver that. Wow. And uh, and now we've reached the point where the president and first lady are leaving Love Field. They get into the presidential limo. David uh, Rankin mentioned earlier it had been raining earlier that morning. It, it, the way it's unfortunate it wasn't still raining. It might have kept the top up. Uh, but but they put the top down. Talk about that. Well, you know, there was concern about the top. Now, the top wasn't just for weather. The top was used uh, oftentimes even in sunny weather. It was a bubble. Right? Uh, yeah, it was a bubble. Yeah. So, uh, But it was ordered to keep off, and it wasn't by John Kennedy. It was actually by Bill Moyers and his staff over on LBJ's to keep the top off. 
and uh, that's okay. You know, the weather was the weather was nice. They didn't need it, uh, but it is an incorrect assumption to say that JFK ordered it off. He didn't. Well, the crowd seemed friendly, but the Secret Service uh, they were concerned, as uh, Dory mentioned, with the parade headed downtown. We've got a live report from Main Street in downtown Dallas, 60 years to the moment. It's coming up as our special continues here on KRLD on the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. And welcome back to our KRLD News special report, JFK, 60 years to the moment. It was 60 years ago today, November 22nd of 1963. I'm joined in studio right now by JFK historian Dory Wiley. He's uh, taken some time out of his day to uh, to be with us. We've got reporters staged along the Kennedy motorcade route as well, taking you back to the place in history where it happened. Uh, back to the uh, to the motorcade route, Dory. They went. It was uh, supposed to go Mockingbird, Lemon, and then uh, down to Turtle Creek, Harwood, and down Main Street to Houston, then Elm. And up, up Stemmons to uh, to the trademark. Talk about downtown. Because you mentioned earlier there were concerns about downtown, uh, especially with the top off. Got all those tall buildings down there, right? Right. Yeah. If you look back in time, uh, the investigations, particularly from the House Select Committee of Assassinations, there was much discrepancy about this parade route, this motorcade route, uh, about the security along the way, the open windows, uh, the lack of, of protection from the Secret Service. Why didn't they get the military help? They turned it down. Why did they change the route at the last minute from Maine over to Elm Street, violate protocol with a 45-degree turn? There's just tons and tons of the security violations. And when you have violations of protocol, you can't help but go, hey, What's going on here? Was there a conspiracy involved? That's part of the problem that we have today in looking back. Also, so many people downtown. What would you say, 250,000 people downtown? That's correct. That's just crowds like that, buildings, open windows. This this was almost a tragedy waiting to happen. You know, it really was, and a lot of people think, oh, well, this tragic incident ushered in a new era of safety for the president, and that's just incorrect. The Secret Service was formed in 1901 from the assassination of of McKinley. And you can go back and look at motorcades for FDR and Eisenhower and Truman and even previous ones with JFK. And they didn't have near or any of the violations of protocol that this one did. So it just puts a big question mark on what was JFK coming into when he entered downtown Dallas. Did the Secret Service take some unjust criticism after this? I think they took some just criticism and maybe some unjust criticism. Uh, the government itself was reluctant to point the finger too much about them. They became, the most criticism came in 1992 when the Assassinations Record Review Board asked for all their files, and the Secret Service said, oh, we destroyed them, and they had just destroyed them. And that became a real brouhaha that uh, uh, neither side really got over. It is 1222 right now, and it was 1222 on this date in 1963 that the president's motorcade began traveling down Main Street in Dallas. And uh, as you've been hearing, mostly friendly crowds along the way. Downtown Dallas is where we find KRLD's Kristen Yates right now. Kristen? 
Mike, here on Main Street at Harwood in the heart of downtown, people walk along here every day, really without realizing that these buildings were among some of the last that President Kennedy would ever see. The presidential motorcade was going at a relatively slow speed, enough for people to see the president's face as he went by, and he was all smiles at this time. And we took people back 60 years ago at this moment. And here is the President of the United States, and what a crowd, uh, what a tremendous welcome he's getting now. We can, uh, and there's Jackie, she's getting just as big a welcome, and the crowd is absolutely going wild. This is a friendly crowd in downtown Dallas. A worry for the Secret Service ahead of the Dallas leg of President Kennedy's journey was the chance that a sniper could set up a perch on one of downtown's tall buildings. But they needn't have worried about that. The crowd along Main Street was friendly, welcoming, and among the last to see President Kennedy alive. I was in uh, second grade, as I recall, when this occurred. So I didn't see the shots. I remember my principal coming over the loud a speaker and announcing me, and he was crying and announcing the assassination. Oh, that is amazing. A lot of meaning. I'm sure a lot of people don't even know it when they're walking up or down here. You know. Yeah, it's pretty wild to think about it. So now that you know that this happened here 60 years ago, what kind of thoughts do you have? That knowing that now and taking all that in, that was one of the biggest times in history and memorable events. And knowing that would be something next time we're here and. Um, just remembering those thoughts right down here, yeah. What do you think about that? Despite my accent, I, well, I actually was living in this country at the time. I spent 50 years in England, which will make you sound like I do. But um, I, I, I remember um, the TV was disrupted. I was a child at the time. All I remember is the, uh, when they went under the underpass and then seeing the, hearing the shot and seeing uh, Miss Kennedy grab him. It's such an event from my childhood. That's all it was. It was just history. You know, and I know that um, means a lot, means different to other people, but it's just history to me. As I recall hearing, it was foolhardy for him to be in an open convertible, and he was warned against it and chose to be close to the people, I guess. It was a political decision, but uh, a life-ending one. Wild. This is a friendly crowd in downtown Dallas as the President and the First Lady pass by. There Linda Johnson and Lady Bird passing by in the second car. All right, uh, KRLD's Kristen Yates again in downtown Dallas at the moment. Kristen, where where are you exactly? Are you on Main Street right now? I am, yes, Main Street in Harwood. And you know something else, Mike? It was along about this leg of the procession that the President Kennedy's last real recorded words were ever spoken. This is uh, Governor Connolly's wife, Nellie, in the same car with them, turned to him at the time and said, Mr. President, you can't say that the city of Dallas doesn't love you. To which he replied, no, you sure can't. So what fateful words those would turn out to be. Absolutely. Kristen, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Kristen Yates in downtown Dallas as we continue our coverage of the 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. Historian Dory Wiley with us right now. Those are the famous words from Nellie Connolly literally just minutes before the shots rang out. Yeah, I guess uh, kind of ironic, but I'm I'm glad he heard him. You know, he was terrified about coming to Dallas, and he did get a warm reception from Dallas, and there were 250,000 people there, and the city of Dallas did love him. Um, it doesn't mean that Dallas killed him, which is unfortunately what the brand that Dallas got for many, many years 
the city that killed the president. And it wasn't the city. It was it was the assassins that did it. The Dallas gave him a warm, loving record, uh, welcome, and I'm glad that was his last thought. The route down Main Street, they turned right on Houston, then on to Elm. Was that always the intended route? You know, it wasn't. It was originally drawn up down through Maine. There's much discrepancy. You know, there's there's people that defend the turn over onto Elm Street saying, well, that's how you get onto Stimmons and get to the trademark. But you could easily get to the trademark going through Main Street onto Industrial and driving up that way. And it was much safer. The drive onto Elm Street basically violated Secret Service manual protocol. You can't do turns less than 90 degrees. It slows the car down too much. And, of course, by, you can look at the Zabruder film and see that the car not only slowed down. When the shot started, it slowed down almost to a halt before it was able to race out, you know, underneath the under, underpass and head up, of course, and, uh, and head towards Parkland. Who made the decision to change the route? You know, that's what's interesting. They did a tremendous amount of investigation into that uh, in the House Select Committee of Assassinations, Assassinations Records Review Board, and guess what? All the Secret Service agents couldn't remember who decided to change it. Wow. And right. th that didn't happen in any other parade route and anywhere else. There's no discrepancy on anywhere else on the trips in Texas. The only discrepancy is the parade route in Dallas. It is right about now. At this moment, 60 years ago, the motorcade was making its way into Dealey Plaza. Coming up, we got a live report from Dealey Plaza where the world changed 60 years ago. Keep it right here on KRLD. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. This is a News Radio 1080 KRLD special presentation. JFK, 60 Years to the Moment, a retrospective about the assassination of a beloved president as it happened 60 years ago. From the KRLD Morning News, here is Mike Rogers. Hey, welcome back to our special presentation this November 22nd. It has been 60 years, six decades 
since the moment that changed America and changed the world. And it happened right here in Dallas. Sixty years ago, President John Kennedy's motorcade had made it into Dealey Plaza. It was right around 1230 that day. History took a right onto Houston, then a left onto Elm, and everything changed. KRLD's Alan Skaya is live right now at Dealey Plaza and joins us. Alan? Yeah, Mike, in the motorcade, it was snaking through this western part of downtown. Uh, it was a celebratory event. Uh, Kennedy was trying to build support for the 1964 election. Uh, people were crowding the streets here, uh, several people deep, uh, waving it, cheering uh, right up to this point here, right on Dealey Plaza. And it was a quiet space just west of downtown uh, where they had more open space, uh, more areas, more grassy areas where, where, where people could gather along, along the street here. Uh, people have been meeting out here uh, today, but uh, hundreds of people are just lining the street here. Uh, they're coming out today just to look back at what happened 60 years ago at this moment. It was a tremendous welcome that Big D gave our chief executive. The presidential motorcade had just turned from Main Street right onto Houston, then going a block toward the Texas School Book Depository. This remarkable turnout so impressed him. I talked to Stephen Fagan, curator of the Sixth Floor Museum, about the timeline here. He said Dallas was the most conservative city on John F. Kennedy's schedule, but 200,000 people were lining the streets. As they entered Dealey Plaza and made this sharp turn from Houston onto Elm Street, it's this gentle downhill curve towards the freeway, the motorcade had slowed to get onto Elm Street, so it was beginning to slowly pick up speed, but shots are fired. It only takes about six to eight seconds for the entire assassination to, to happen. According to the official government findings, one shot missed, the last shot fatally struck the president in the head, and then the, uh, the middle shot most likely is the one that passed through both President Kennedy and wounded Governor Connolly. CBS News broke into a soap opera with Walter Cronkite making the announcement the president had been shot. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. More details just arrived. These details about the same as previously. President Kennedy shot today just as his motorcade left downtown Dallas. Mrs. Kennedy jumped up and grabbed Mr. Kennedy. She called, oh no, the motorcade sped on. Cronkite described Kennedy slumping into his wife's lap in the car. The car is so built that the president sits higher than he would in a normal automobile so that the crowd can get a good look at him. But as it turned out today, so that an assassin can also get a good shot at him. It's a tragedy of almost Shakespearean proportions, and so it gets blown up. And just like the plaza itself, it seems so vast on television and in photographs. And yet when you get here, it is this three-acre, very quaint vehicular park at the edge of downtown Dallas. And so there's such an intimacy about the plaza and, and a compression of time when you imagine that the Zapruder film, the most famous home movie of the 20th century, is like 26 seconds long, less than 30 seconds of American history captured on film, but it is the death of President Kennedy. Things happened very rapidly that weekend in a relatively small space, but in the crucible of this event, it all takes on this vast symbolic significance. The Sixth Floor Museum's Fagan says this was Jackie Kennedy's first public trip since their newborn son's death. Even people visiting the Sixth Floor Museum now could imagine what this area would have looked like 60 years ago at this moment. When we were up at the top in the depository, we could I watch, you know, I follow the cars just coming down the street and imagining it was them coming down the street. 
the curator, he said people see like the black and white pictures or they see this Pruder film, but when you come here, you see it in real life and like it kind of brings a different... You're right, yeah. it does. It just brings a whole new meaning to it. I've seen all the movies and, yeah. the, and the footage and stuff like that. Yeah, so it, you get the goosebumps while you're here, you know. This is where it all was, where it happened. That guy says he's been here quite a few times and always brings others when they're visiting from out of town. It's historical. I'm, I'm a, a big John F. Kennedy fan. Actually, um, I've been here numerous times, probably 10 or 15 times throughout my life. So it's kind of special to be here for the, for the anniversary. Actually, I would actually would like to know exactly what did happen. <laughs> he says he was only three years old the day of the assassination, so he only imagines what it looked like as the motorcade sped off beneath the triple underpass. KRLD's Alan Skaya there, and he is live right now in Dealey Plaza. Alan, I, I saw some video moments ago of some of the crowds down there today. I was amazed how many people are down there. The grassy knoll is packed, and in fact, just while that was playing, uh, they just sang uh, Amazing Grace. They had a moment of silence here to, to, to mark the moments uh, that the shots were fired. And so the crowd is now just sort of fanning out all over. And that's something, too, like there's a lot of Dallas police out here um, trying to direct traffic, trying to keep everybody moving, because there are a lot of people who are just stopping on Elm right now, you know, taking pictures of the mark of the X's on the street here. Uh, and so it's kind of a, a strange mix of people who are here for the 60th anniversary, but also people who just work in downtown Dallas and are trying to go about their normal day. Alan, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Great work. KRLD's Alan Skaya in Dealey Plaza right now. Of course, uh, just a ton of media here that day, uh, Dory, and including, and, and many of them have passed away, but a few are still alive, including Dan Rather. Dan Rather was down by the triple underpass, says he didn't hear the shots, but he knew something was wrong. As soon as I saw what I thought was the president's limousine, school book depository, grassy note in front of it, inside of it, I was just the other side of the triple overpass. The president's limousine, what I thought was the president's limousine, I wasn't happy to sure, came by kind of in a blur. It seemed to be going, taking a wrong turn. I now know that it was going to Parkland Hospital. Uh, I thought I saw Mrs. Kennedy, but I couldn't be sure. There was a sense that there was something wrong. So uh, I ran to the top and over the grassy, the uh, overpass. Mm -hmm. As soon as I got to the top of the overpass, I could see the grassy knoll area and the school book depository. There was a cyclone of confusion and chaos there. Some people on the ground, fathers covering their children with their own bodies. And I knew, boom, I mean, something really big has happened here. Looked quickly for a phone and didn't see any. This was 1963, mind you, there's not a phone in every corner. And I raced back to our affiliate station, uh, KRLD Television, at that time. It was about four and a half blocks away. I don't think that Florence Joyner could have beaten me back to the station that day because I knew something mm -hmm. was wrong. And as soon as I got the police radios up, then there was uh, the picture began to form. Now you heard him say he ran to KRLD Television. That building is now Fox 4, but at the time it was KRLD TV. Channel 4. It's 12.38 right now at KRLD. Coming up, chaos at Parkland Hospital as we look back 60 years to the moment. And welcome back to our special KRLD news presentation, JFK, 60 years to the moment. We follow in the footsteps of President Kennedy the day he was murdered in Dallas 60 years ago today. We've got reporters in the field, and we are following it moment by moment. At about this time, 1240, the presidential limousine screeched to a halt in the Parkland Hospital Emergency Room, and that is where we find KRLD's LP Phillips right now. LP? 
Mike, uh, there's been a lot of construction, a lot of demolition, Parkland Hospital. For the most part, it actually looks more like Parkland Hospital did in 1963 because of some of the demolition than it has in years. But this is where it all happened on that day, November 22nd, when both President and Governor John Connolly were wounded. It fell to the doctors to do the impossible. Bedlam had arrived at the Parkland Hospital emergency room door 60 years to the moment. Doctors are no more immune to gallow humor than other first responders. And on November 22, 1963, they knew President Kennedy was going to be in Dallas. And as in every city where a president travels, they were put on standby for the unlikely event of an emergency. Death watch, they joked. Little did they know. On that day, the head of the Parkland Hospital Emergency Room, Dr. Charles Baxter, was on call, and he was going about his routine. He was a couple buildings over from Parkland during the noon hour, giving flu shots to students. In those days, there were no cell phones, no pagers, just a dial phone that rang. The doctor had a call from his assistant. She said, come quick, the president's been shot. And I laughed and said, oh, what else is new today, Doris? She said, I'm not kidding. Well, I just downed the phone the way I went. When Dr. Baxter gave me that interview, he remembered every step from that desk where a phone receiver was still dangling all the way to the emergency room. Every step. He was running up to Trauma Bay 1 just as the gurney was being wheeled in. Secret Service man with a submachine gun said, who are you? And I said, I run this damn place. Get out of the way. The agents backed off, and the doctors got to work for as little as they had to work with. Baxter said the team had no idea of the extent of the massive head wound. It was not apparent as the president was on his back. What they could see was the exit wound near the front of his neck. But that wound did not correspond to the dropping blood pressure. They were losing the president, and in those initial seconds and minutes, the emergency room doctors of Parkland had no idea why. Where was all that blood coming from? Another doctor lifted the president's head so they could turn him over. They were stunned. He said, my God, the whole side of his head is blown off. He said, it's just, he's it's destroyed. He's dead. From that point on, it was a matter of following protocol. There was nothing that could be done. No heroics, no machines, medicine, nothing. Minutes later, they made the call. The president was dead. It fell to Dr. Charles Baxter to tell Mrs. Kennedy. She kissed his big toe and kissed his navel and took a ring off and put it on his little little finger and kissed his lips and then backed off crying all the time. John F. Kennedy died at approximately 1 o'clock Central Standard Time today here in Dallas. All right, KR Eddie's LP Phillips is uh, is there at Parkland Hospital right now. Tell me, LP, what what if anything is left of Trauma One? Trauma One itself, uh, it, it, there was part of the emergency room. Uh, they actually remodeled the emergency room, expanded it out, and made that into what was called interventional radiology. Uh, they actually took the whole Trauma One, packed it up, put it in a crate. The government owns it, and it's been shipped off to Kansas City area, somewhere in storage, they say for safety reasons, they aren't going to tell where it is. Quick story, uh, that became something called interventional radiology in the uh, in the last 10 years. That's That's been moved across the street, the whole hospital has. But my wife used to work in that department uh, doing IVs, and uh, there was a waiting room, and in that waiting room there was a plaque. All it said was original site, 
No Trauma One, November twenty second, nineteen sixty three. LP, thank you so much. Great work. That's KRLD's LP Phillips. He is live at uh, Parkland Hospital, the old Parkland Hospital, where President Kennedy was pronounced dead on this date sixty years ago. And uh, Dory, real quick, one one other interesting side note here: the doctor who treated Governor John Connolly that day. A lot of Texans might remember Dr. Red Duke. Dr. Was, Red Duke. Was at, at Parkland that day. More coming up on KRLD. Straight ahead, the hunt for the killer as we take a look back 60 years to the moment. And welcome back to our special KRLD news presentation, 60 Years to the Moment. A look at the Kennedy assassination as the events unfolded during the noon hour back on November 22nd of 1963. It was just minutes after the president was shot around this time that day. Lee Harvey Oswald slipped out of the school book depository and went to his boarding house in Oak Cliff. Then a short time later, he killed Dallas police officer J.D. Tippett. There were witnesses who saw Oswald flee the scene of that crime. And police now had a description. Attention all squads, the suspect from Elman, Houston is reported to be an unknown white male, about 30, slender build, 5 feet 10 inches tall, 165 pounds, armed with what is thought to be a 30-30 rifle. No further description at this time or information. And minutes later, police got a tip that Oswald was in the Texas theater. Just for whatever information, that a suspect just went in the Texas theater on West Jersey. Picked him up at the Texas Theater. Dory Wiley, historian, with us right now, JFK uh, assassination expert, and that seat in the Texas Theater is still marked. It's, st- it's still there. We had a uh, conference there one time, and I took a big picture of Oswald and put it in the seat where they had arrested him. How did he get out for the depository? Well, you know, he slipped out. Uh, uh, it is kind of interesting because they did try to keep everyone in there, and he was the only one missing. And he heads north up and j- jumps on a bus, but the bus runs into traffic. So then he gets off the bus there at the Greyhound station, catches a cab. And right about this time, 1250, he gets out of the cab two blocks north of his, two blocks south of his uh, home on Beckley, or where he's staying at 1026 North Beckley, and then walks up the street to Beckley and goes into his room. He comes out with a jacket. Lady sees him on the street corner, looks at the clock. It's one o'clock. And of course, one o'clock is right when Walter Cronkite announced right. the death. Or he announced that a little later, but that's when they pronounced Kennedy dead at one right. o'clock. Right. There were a number of reporters, in fact, who went on to fame in the years after the assassination, including retired CBS anchor Bob Schieffer. He was a rookie reporter who worked on the overnight shift at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. He was asleep at the time, but after the president was shot, Schieffer was awakened, and he went to the paper to see if he could help. All the reporters were already assigned, and so Bob Schieffer began answering phones, and he got the call of a lifetime. I go up to the uh, to the uh, the city room, and it was, as you might imagine, it was just total bedlam up there. Every phone was ringing. Uh, downstairs, there were people that were lined up outside the Star-Telegram waiting to get extras. Uh, and that was the last of the great newspaper extras. I mean, uh, when, every time they'd get a fact, that day, they'd stop the presses and put it in and then start the presses back back up uh, 
again. Uh, so anyway, I, I, I hadn't even talked to anybody yet when I got there. And uh, I just, you know, all these phones are ringing, so I just went over and picked up one just trying to help them out. And this woman's voice comes on and said, uh, is there anybody there to get that can give me a ride to Dallas? And I said, well, lady, you know, we, we don't run a taxi here, and besides, the president's been shot. And I was getting ready just to hang the phone up. I thought she was just, you know, I didn't know who she was. And uh, she's, then I hear her voice saying, yes, I think my son is the one they've arrested. And it was Lee Harvey Oswald's mother. That is when Bob Schieffer became a taxi service. He and another reporter went to West Fort Worth. They picked up Oswald's mother, drove her to Dallas. And when they got to the Dallas Police Department, Schieffer says he played a little game of don't ask, don't tell. In those days, uh, we never told people who we were. If they ask, we said, you know, I work for the Star-Telegram. But if they wanted to think that uh, we were a detective, uh, we just let them think that. And that's why I always wore a snap rim hat, because all the cops wore uh, snap rim hats. It's funny, the cops in Fort Worth wore snap rim hats, and the ones in Dallas wore uh, Stetson-style hats, which was the opposite of what Dallas was the more urban city, and Fort Worth was Cowtown. And, but, but that's the way it was. So, you know, I, when we got to the police station in Dallas, uh, Bill Foster pulled up to the curb, and I got out, and he went to park the car, and I took her into the police station. So I didn't tell anybody I was from the Star-Telegram. I just, first cop I saw, I said, uh, I'm the one that uh, brought Oswald's mother over here. Is there some place we can put her where these reporters won't be bothering her? And he actually found us a room in, in the burglary squad. And then later in the day, uh, I, I went to... To Captain Will Fritz, chief of homicide, and as did a lot of a lot of other reporters, he was you know everybody was talking to him, and I I said uh, she would really by this time they knew they didn't figure out who I was but they knew she was there and everything, and I said she'd really like to see her son and he said uh, yeah he said we we probably ought to do that and uh, so they took her down and we went to the holding room off the jail. And there was another lawman, I think he was probably FBI or, or maybe Secret Service, who was down there. And uh, he looked over at me and he said, uh, where, where, where are you from? And I said, uh, Fort Worth. And he said, well, are, are, you, uh, are you a detective? I said, no, no. And I said, I, I work for the Star-Telegram. And he said, son, I want you to get out of here right now. And that's when they realized that uh, I was, so I almost got an interview with Oswald because they were just going to bring him down, but I, I never did get to interview him. Now, what Schieffer learned was that Oswald's mother seemed to be more interested in herself than her son or the president's family or anything else. She never expressed one question about President Kennedy. She never expressed one question or said anything about his wife or his children. The only thing that she had on her mind was money. And and she, uh, now what I led the story with I mean, uh, was uh, when she told me, she said, they will give his wife money and feel sorry for her and they'll turn their back on me like they always do and I'll get nothing. And I, I'm... I mean, I, you know, I, I was, my adrenaline was running high anyway just because of, you know, the situation that we're in there. And I said, how could somebody possibly uh, 
not want to know how's the president's wife or, or how's the family or what else happened over there. All she was, she was totally centered on herself and what was going to happen to her. As the legendary CBS anchor and correspondent Bob Schieffer here on KRLT. Just ahead, some final thoughts from our historian, our JFK historian, Dory Wiley, on our special report, 60 Years to the Moment. Welcome back. Our coverage continues. The 60th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. Mike Rogers with you. We have been taking it moment by moment through the 12 o'clock hour, which is that is when it all happened. Uh, JFK assassination expert Dory Wiley has been with me for the entire hour. Dory, thanks so much. We really appreciate the time. I, I want to ask you in closing, for so long after the assassination, Dallas was was the city of killers. It was the, it was the city that killed the president. Has time changed that? You know, I, sh- I sure hope so. And Dallas really didn't know how to deal with it. You know, we hung our head in shame. We didn't want to talk about it. Uh, we put up the nice Kennedy Memorial, which was terrific. And then I think one of the great things we did, we had a big discussion about whether to put up, uh, you know, the Sixth Floor Museum, what to do with the Texas School Book Depository. And there was much debate about that because people wanted to put it aside and forget and sweep it under the rug. And and the Sixth Floor Museum is such a classy museum. It's very well done. It didn't get uh, mired into the... Uh, uh, discrepancies of conspiracy or whatever. It just it, it's it's a shrine to the president. It's a it's a, a historical record of what happened that day, and it's very tastefully done. And I think the city of Dallas can be very proud of that and the memorial and events like what KRLD is doing today. It's a, it's a, it's a lot uh, different now than it was. Uh, two days after the assassination, the Cowboys had to go up to Cleveland play the Cleveland Browns. NFL took a lot of criticism, actually, for allowing games to be played that day, two days after the assassination. Cowboys went up to Cleveland. They got off the bus at the hotel. The bellhops wouldn't wait on them mm. because they were from Dallas. Uh, Art Modell, the owner of the Browns, he instructed the public address announcer not to say the word Dallas during that game. And, and of course, that was then. This is now. Times have changed. And... Uh, it's been uh, 60 years. Hard to believe. Dory, listen, thank you so much. One more time, I want to appreciate, really appreciate you coming in. That is JFK historian Dory Wiley. He's been with me. And uh, we hope we've given you a different perspective with what it was like on that historical day. November 22nd of 1963 has been 60 years to the day since the assassination of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. 60 years to the moment, in fact. I'm Mike Rogers. Thank you so much for listening to KRLD. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 